also think we're going to be extremely Scottish on this pod because when I talk to a Scottish person, my accent comes out full and strong, whereas it doesn't with an English person. Do you want to know something ridiculous? I'm actually Norwegian. I'm not even Scottish. Well, I know. I saw your bio and thought, okay, Norwegian, but your accent is Edinburgh, as far as I can tell. Welcome to How Publishing Works, from Caxton to Kindle. I'm your host, Kate MacDonald, and today I'm in conversation with a book marketer and a publishing publicity expert, Keris Jones. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's good to have you here. So let's start with the basics. Um, what is the difference between marketing and publicity? What does a publisher generate and what does a publisher respond to? So the way I was taught was that publicity is earned while marketing is owned. I don't think that distinction is quite as useful as it maybe used to be, uh, but it's still a nice starting point. So in that sense, marketing would be the things the company pays for or owns. So it would include print ads, organic and paid social media posts via the company's own accounts, the company's mailing list, paid collaborations, and content shared on their own website, for example. Publicity, on the other hand, might include reviews, interviews, and features run in the media that the company doesn't control. For example, someone else's blog, website, magazine, socials, or newspaper. That can lead to the misconception that publicity just happens, which is completely untrue. Publicity can't happen without all the work that goes on in the background, creating that awareness among the right people. So larger publishers will have a different department for each, while smaller ones might have a single person covering marketing and publicity, possibly with some other sales or other business functions thrown into the mix. And tracking the publicity is pretty difficult because I had to have someone help me with that because it was just became too unwieldy, ma mapping what was out there and trying to keep up with. Absolutely. People don't tell you necessarily when stuff's coming. Um, it's so important to be listening online, to be doing that social media listening, as well as having your Google Alerts set up. But that won't cover the print um, side of things. So it's it's quite a complicated, busy world out there on the publicity front. And yeah, covering all the bases all the time. Sometimes I think that half of my day is spent marketing, working on the marketing, checking the marketing, shoving the marketing out or catching up on what the marketing has done. Is that about the right ratio, do you think? Honestly, it's it's difficult to say because so many publishing houses have different approaches to who's doing what. So are you thinking 50-50 um, in terms of publicity and marketing? No, it's 50-50 in my entire working day. I mean, by marketing, I include things like sorting out book covers, um, working on how and when we're going to get the book published, as well as I mean, anything to do with the, the book as it contacts the outside world. I count that as marketing because it's handheld, shoving its presence out into the world. But honestly, it does seem like half the day is spent doing that kind of work, as well as straight advertising and social media all the time. I mean, as, as a, a marketing person and marketing grad, everything is marketing. <laughs> so uh, 50%, not nearly enough. Oh, no, yeah. okay. Oh, well, there's no time for editing then. Good Lord. <laughs> so you've been in book publicity for quite some time. Can you give us a sense of the kind of marketing campaigns you've worked on? Like, have you had to supply dancing elephants or to rent out the Palace of Holyrood? Or have they been more low-key, shall we say? Ponies have come up at a few event planning meetings, but never, yeah, never dancing elephants. 
um, both on kids' books and on adult memoir. We've had ponies mentioned. Never actually come to anything. My experience has very much been with smaller indie presses with small budgets and small teams. Um, so high profile campaigns that I've worked on have tended to be perhaps a little more traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the best will in the world, you could not reproduce that Barbie film campaign without the household brand name, the huge budget, whatever that may have been, and that full marketing team. Mm. I think, um, yeah, the Barbie marketing campaign has been a lesson to everybody about what marketing is. It was absolutely impeccable. It was. And it's something that I think a lot of marketers will be thinking about the ways that they can bring that kind of thinking into their own work. Um, but yeah, that does start with that that brand name that everyone recognises already. Mm. Um, and like I said, big budget. Huge budget. Uh, and the back catalogue of fashion as well, because I mean, this, is, this is not about books. So sorry, folks, but no, no, this is important <laughs> culturally. Yeah, absolutely. Because Barbie is a fashion icon. You've got 45, 50 years of Barbie wearing fashion. And then, obviously, they could get Margot Robbie into fantastic pastiches and copies and custom-built fashion outfits for the marketing campaign. It was just stupendous what they did with it. Yeah, and um, I think partnerships have become increasingly important over the past like 20 years, and those collaborations were, were something else. They were, they were really, really impressive. Um, but when you reach out to somebody and you say, hey, I'm working on Barbie they go, oh, yes, I know Barbie. Whereas when you reach out to somebody with a debut novelist who maybe does IT as their day job, that's that's not necessarily going to be the case. They're not going to get very excited, no. How do you do it then? How do you pitch a debut novelist who works in IT in his day job? How do you, what hooks do you use? That can be tricky, but you've usually got to start with having somebody that loves the book. And that obviously comes from having read the book. So whether that's the publicist, whether that's the editor, um, ideally that's somebody with a big name and trust in their name, um, because that makes a heck of a difference. Um, an example that's come to mind that isn't actually a debut novelist. He had he had actually been listed for the Costa Novel Awards previously. And that's a really important book prize in Britain because it's the one that's voted on by the readers, which is almost the only one. Um, but yeah, so I worked on Stephen's latest novel, Sells the Rope, um, which was about a young Stalin in London, which is, is quite a nice hook in itself. That's quite interesting. Um, but it's not necessarily something you would expect to get blanket review coverage. So how did we get there? The um, absolutely brilliant, generous Hilary Mantel read the book at a very early stage. She said she'd wished she'd written it herself, oh, wow. which is obviously a huge compliment. Mm. Um, so we got that because Stephen had met her a few times. He, um, he'd been at, you know, literary events and things, um, festivals mostly. And he's a likable guy. And he just asked nicely if she would read his forthcoming fairly short historical novel. Mm, Fairly short. That's important. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It actually does make a, a surprising difference. Um, so we put that endorsement absolutely everywhere. Mm. That that then got the attention of booksellers, festival programmers, bloggers, journalists, all ahead of publication. And every time we had a new expression of interest, we let the relevant people know. Mm-hmm. And from that, we ended up with reviews in, I'm trying to remember, The Guardian, The Times, The Telegraph, The FT, Gosh, The Observer, The Daily Mail, uh, The Irish Times, I think, plenty more newspaper coverage. Yeah. Um, 
That is gold. Yeah. That's- yeah, absolutely. It made a huge difference. And because we were constantly feeding back that interest, um, I think initially it was chosen as book of the month by the bookseller. Then the booksellers association picked it up as their book of the month and hot charts picked it up as theirs. So that meant that we had huge retailer support, both on and offline. Um, we backed that up with live signings and events alongside ebook promo and we tied it all together with social media advertising once we could see that the campaign was really taking shape. So that sounds like a campaign that developed organically because you couldn't possibly have realized that you would have such national interest at the beginning when you were first reaching out and working out well. No, we knew that we had a great novel, um, mm. but you you don't know when you start. And it's so important. I think we'll come on to this a bit later again, but responsiveness is is crucial. Mm-hmm. Being able to see what's happening and making sure that you're on top of it yeah. to make the most of it. Yeah. And I suppose in that case, you would have been going, good Lord, we've got all these reviews. Now let's use the review quotations and let's, as you say, feedback to those who have been previously interested. So even more publicity gets generated. So that must have been like taking the ball and running with it. Absolutely, yes. And did that also mean suddenly having to increase the marketing budget because there were opportunities for advertising that you might not have considered necessary back at the beginning, for example? Yeah, so we had to rethink our budget a little bit um, at various points along the way. Um, But as a small press, Mm. you don't necessarily have as much flexibility um, in budgets because you're doing all of this before that money starts coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was also about so much of that, because it was publicity driven, didn't necessarily have to use that much budget it was more about making sure that the right people were aware of it so that they could get their support behind it as well yeah so making sure that the booksellers knew because they love books they want to know about the best books that are coming out Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily something that you would it's maybe more something under sales than publicity but making sure that booksellers are aware of exciting things coming up is is crucial and your sales team is is essential in that as well yeah yeah and sometimes people forget that they're focused completely on getting the reviews and then assuming that reviews will push sales but they don't an american publicist told me that you get a good review in the new york times review of books but nothing will change it's an unknowable again so in a small press what are the functions that a marketing and or a publicity person has to deal with when you've got a limited number of people to do the whole job Regardless of the size of the company or the team, the purpose of the marketing and publicity department or person is to make sure that readers are aware of a book. People cannot buy something that they do not know exists at a very basic level is as simple as that. And everything just sort of spins off from that. How do you make people aware? How do you get readers aware? Thinking about a trajectory of a campaign, are there common elements that different kinds of book will have in the campaign so for example you've got a children's picture book or you're trying to sell to pitch a diy book are there things that will happen in both campaigns for both those books even though the subject matter and the eventual readership is so completely different absolutely yes um every campaign should be tailored to its book but the way that tailoring is done tends to look quite similar so whether i'm working on you know children's book diy book mountaineering memoir a novel about millennials' relationships in cities, I'm going to want to pitch for reviews. However, I'm going to target different magazines with different audiences for those 
um, two books. So that novel, I'm definitely going to be pitching that to Stylist. The mountaineering memoir, I'm going to be going to The Great Outdoors magazine and that kind of side of things. So the, the thinking is still the same. You're thinking about how you reach your audience and what media they're consuming. So, yes, you, it's, it's a very generic thing. You know, what are they going to be interested in knowing about and how am I going to reach that particular audience? So, yeah, the detail doesn't matter so much. So thinking about spontaneity, if something unexpected happens, you've already talked about a, a book suddenly getting a lot of really good publicity. Obviously, you're looking at social media all the time as a, a sort of a rolling check-in. But then once something big happens, you presumably have to swing into action as pretty as soon as you can for just to, to catch the wave. Is that right in all cases? Or are there other cases where you might have to be more measured, take a wee bit more time to respond? It's much easier to know how to respond to something positive than something negative. Um, I think there there are situations where you have to sit back and not say anything. We've had some situations where we've published queer authors who have spoken out about their experiences of their queerness, and we've had really awful, horrible reviews. Um, and as long as nobody's engaging with that, why would you give it the light of day? Um, if we need to step in and defend our authors... That, that's different. But as long as people aren't noticing that and you've just seen it because it's come up on your Google alerts, you know, you can, you're, you're better not drawing attention to that and creating something that could be quite difficult for your author to deal with on a personal level, because that's their life that they're talking about. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the, the example that springs to mind. And you, yeah, you do have to be a bit, um, you have to maybe be a bit more thoughtful in the way that you deal with things that are negative and trickier. Um, whereas, you know, you get a fantastic new review in The Guardian. Um, if you don't have advance notice of that, you didn't know when it was going to run, for example, you have to be ready to produce those new graphics to share on socials, to post a beautiful photo to Instagram, let the author know, let your sales team know, let your key retailers know. And then you need to get your very exciting metadata ready to ensure that that persuasive new quote appears on retailer websites. So there's lots to think about there. Mm. That's a lot of work as well. Yes, it's a lot of work and it needs to all be done now because news does not stay news for long, as you might. Yes, I've, I've done that. I've taken, yes, I've spent a whole hour covering all the social media, telling everyone it needs to know and then rejigging the artwork because a really big, exciting quotation has come through in a review that I want everyone to know about. And it, and then you emerge from that and think, oh, right, back to my day job or back to the real world. Where was I? Oh, your schedule gets completely thrown out of the window every time that something exciting happens. And I think that's, that's part of what makes publicity and marketing so exciting is that it does engage. And, you know, no plan survives first contact. And that is absolutely the case here. Let's, let's talk about social media, because obviously social media, by which I mean Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, now Threads, possibly Mastodon, maybe Blue Sky in the future, and other accounts which are less well known by your general public, that has transformed book marketing radically in the numbers a campaign can reach and the different markets that those different social media channels have generated. So how complicated is it to stay on top 
of the constant changes, and they really are constant now, in social media platforms, as well as the opportunities they give you. So I went on my honeymoon at the end of June and I came back and everybody was talking about threads and I didn't know what it was. Oh, no. And that's scary. (laughs) That is scary as a social media person. So we can try to stay on top of that stuff. um, And we absolutely do. But it is a tricky one, particularly in an industry that typically is under-resourced. Because things are changing so fast, you can end up spending valuable time learning a new platform only for it to fade into obscurity as quickly as it arrived on the scene, or even to discover that it doesn't work for you and for your audience. Um, That, of course, goes for authors as well as publishers. Authors are just one person, and a lot of the time they're running their own social media accounts, most of the time, I would say. Um, And I think those limitations on resources that I mentioned, they mean that we have to pick our battles quite carefully. So that said, though, I would argue that it's a good idea to claim the handle or username that you want when a new social media platform does pop up, even if you're not initially going to be dedicating huge amounts of time to it. Mm. And for authors who are, shall we say, reticent about using social media at all, I imagine it must be a big struggle to just to get them to engage even in one channel. Yeah, I'm, I'm possibly a bit controversial in this when I speak to new authors who don't want to do social media I say don't do it um I'm happy to support them if they want to give it a try um I did a webinar for authors who were unfamiliar with with social media and shared that with any new authors that we were taking on but I think it comes across when you don't want to be on a platform when you don't engage um, and it can come across as quite inauthentic and it doesn't it doesn't chime well with the community, which is so important on socials. Mm. And it, it becomes, yes, I've seen some really awkward, but very enthusiastic new authors. Just all they do is talk about their book. They don't talk about anything else. And it just looks so monotonous and so uninteresting. And you think, well, why would I listen to you? Why would I bother following you? There's nothing here. No, engagement is so important and being part of that community rather than just going for the hard sell all the time mm. is uh, it's really worthwhile. Yeah. And I mean, it is a strategic kind of sales focused thing, even if you are engaging a lot of the time. But it's also a lot more fun than just, you know, putting out the same tweet every every 24 hours or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you're a people person and you, you, you genuinely like chatting to people, it, I think it must be a lot easier. But if you are naturally introverted, you're quite shy. There's a friend of mine who's an author. I have basically forced her to get her own website up because she didn't even have that. There's no way she's going to do social media. It's it's agony for them. And I think you're right. Why force them? Because they're not going to produce anything of value if they're utterly resentful and hating the, the entire process. It's, it's probably con- uh, counterproductive to make them do it as a... Um, or what's the phrase? Like company policy? Yeah. If a, a larger publishing house makes... I think it does... You know, it's quite common now to see for authors, you must have a social media profile, you must have a Twitter account. And with Twitter having the terrible reputation it does now, I'm not surprised nobody would want to begin on Twitter now. It's Yes, it's all very complicated. So, given that an author is desirable in a book marketing campaign, because I know to my cost that because Handheld doesn't publish many live authors, most of ours are dead, we very rarely, in fact, we have never yet been invited to a book festival. 
um, a literary festival because we haven't got a body there who can do the talking. So an author is necessary for an, a marketing campaign. But what do you want them to do? What's the best thing an author can do as part of the selling of their book? Um, I'm going to suggest two things, which is a bit of a cheat. Um, first up is work with your publisher, um, making sure that they have all of the relevant information. I think that's probably an obvious one, but at the same time, it's not necessarily something that always happens um, as early on in the process as it should. So if they give you a questionnaire to fill out, put some time into it, um, mm. have a think about what your story is as well as what the story you're telling is, if that makes sense. It's worth having ideas ready for interview that tie in with your book. Things that you can speak about on a personal level, things that you can speak about on a professional level, on an academic level even, um, that maybe aren't quite as straightforward as just talking about your new novel, if that makes sense. Yeah, and things that media are going to get, uh, get interested in, like do you go swimming with sharks? Absolutely. Those kinds of exciting stories don't come along as often as author writes book comes along. No, no, of course not. And where you went to school, right down from your primary school, your secondary school, the book prizes you won, all that rubbish. Because somebody somewhere in some local paper will go, you know, local girl went to local primary school, now has local book. Absolutely. Local connections are so important and booksellers want to support local as well. And mm -hmm. they will put you in their window display if they are excited about your book, if they know about it being a local thing. Yeah. That's a wonderful, supportive thing to have, but it but won't happen if the right people don't know about it at the right time. Say my second basic, really widely usable tip is take any opportunity to make sure that people can find your book easily because people are so lazy. And even though we are readers, we have really short attention spans. So when people have to scroll to find your book or, you know, do a Google search, that that is time that you can lose people along the way so making sure that a link to the book you're promoting is included in your social media profiles in your pinned tweet any newsletters or social media posts about said book that is that is crucial and it's something I see a lot of authors not realizing that they need to do yeah and it's not it's a way you can an author can connect with a local independent bookshop by always giving the link to that independent bookshop's listing of your book on their website absolutely so the bookshop also gets excited about this constant stream of traffic selling that book one hopes yes that's very true so what um i was going to ask what's the worst thing an author can do is that sane is that allowed of course <laughs> um it should go without saying but don't be rude i've seen some really weird interactions from authors thankfully not ones i've been working with on social media recently but you do occasionally even hear of authors being rude to booksellers, journalists, readers, and other authors by email, by phone, even in person. Bloggers get a lot of flack from authors being rude. And people in the book world love books, which authors are, you know, they are at the heart of that. And as a rule, we want to see authors succeed. That canon does change very, very quickly if authors are behaving badly towards the people who want to support them. Mm -hmm. Do as you would be done by. Absolutely. It's a good yes. rule. Yeah. I'm also thinking, you, you mentioned earlier about seeing the book in the bookshop window. 
what do you do if the cover artwork that has been chosen and it's done and it can't be changed is actually detrimental to the book, the book's success? Is there anything that can be done? As a publisher or as an author? Well, no, as a marketer, really. If a marketer is faced with a really terrible book cover, in your estimation, that you are struggling to sell, you can't get anyone to look at, or even more bad, it's actively, aggressively nasty. I have thankfully never been in that position that I can think of. Um, I've been very lucky to work with some great cover designers. The other thing is that marketing has always been part of the process for cover design and I think that is that's really important to mention here is that your cover is one of your biggest sales tools so making sure that that is sales friendly at an early stage is is crucial I think if you have got a bad cover to work with though you have to focus on the other things you don't say sorry we've got a terrible cover (laughs) um no sorry cover designer you focus on how fantastic the story is Mm-hmm. You focus on getting those quotes in. Maybe you even send out some sample copies without without the cover at a, an earlier stage, you know, um, if you can do bound proofs or something, mm-hmm. so that that's not what people are focusing on. Yeah, I have seen some absolutely ghastly covers in my time. And yeah, I do wonder. It's a tricky one. It are. really is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's think about book marketing campaign. I mean, we've already talked about Barbie briefly, and she's not a book, but... From a book marketer's perspective, which marketing campaigns have you admired recently? Um, I'm just thinking about things that I've seen everywhere. and Is that, the crit- is that a good criterion, if you see a book everywhere? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things, I'm just going to come back to Barbie again, because why not? Um, I don't know what that film is really about in terms of plot. And that doesn't matter. I think the people who are going to go and see it are going to go and see it regardless of whether they know what is going to happen in that, you know, two hours or whatever that they're sitting in the cinema. I think Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which came out last year in hardback, I was seeing that everywhere. It had all the right people talking about it, a lot of huge support from booksellers, from bloggers as well. Um, Even though I think the author is... US based um, and I I didn't really know anything about what the book was about but the cover was beautiful that helped and I was seeing people whose opinions I trusted talking about it and that made me go out and buy the book well that's that's job done yeah yeah and I mean that that comes from having having something that you you know who the audience for it is Um, It's not even necessarily, one size does not fit all when it comes to books. Mm -hmm. So knowing how to reach the people who are going to love that book and who are going to shout about it and champion it, that's, that's, I think, something that I find really admirable in other other publicists and other marketers. Yeah. There are some marketing campaign approaches which have become very stereotypical. I'm thinking of the beach read that's set in Cornwall, which involves a middle-aged woman who's probably blonde and there's a marriage issue and there's another man. And that kind of book tends to be publicised with very pastel colours and it's never raining, it's always sunny. And I, I, I look at that kind of marketing material and I know straight away there is no way I want to read that book because 
I don't want to get into that package. That sort of thing is not for me. But is that still a success? Because it sounds to me, thinking about it, that that marketing campaign has dug itself into a trench so deeply that it may miss a lot of potential readers because it's identified so strongly with a particular reading type, a book type, a, a theme, a vibe. I wonder if that's a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And people know that they are reaching readers. And if they change the way that they do this particular publication style, I suppose, yeah. they will miss out on their core readership. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think reaching new readers is important, not losing sight of your core readership is important too. Yeah, yeah. And it must be a pretty big core readership because yes. for that particular example, the romance field is colossal and it's the um, probably the unsung hero of the book book industry in Britain because um, actually the English-speaking world Yeah, because romance fiction is so lucrative but it's just not talked about because it's not it's not literary. It's not important enough. La, 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 la. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a huge discussion around genre and... Uh, <laughs> what's what's worth worthy i suppose um i think crime fiction and science fiction they get a lot of flack like that as well yeah well i think science fiction is getting more respectable as more heavyweight male reviewers review it i don't know in a very intellectual weighty way yes it will but i it's still the science fiction community still get very irritated when people like margaret atwood say oh no i don't write science fiction well what is oryx and quake craig and the handmaid's tale if not science fiction good lord yeah there's a disassociation there now the last question which is drawn from the bookseller so in in um in the book trade there's the bookseller the magazine the bookseller which is pretty much aimed at the, tr- the booksellers, the people in the bookshops, and the publishers. And the book trade itself is not a magazine for external readers, mainly because it costs a lot of money and you can't buy it in the bookshops. You can't buy it in Smith's, or if you can, I've never seen it there. And they have, it's really common for the bookseller to have big splashes advertising a really well-known author with a whole new cover design. So this week we have Michael Morpurgo, one of the great British children's literature writers. He's bringing out two new books this year. So we have a big front page, inside front cover splash, which is a really prestigious and very expensive advertising location with a picture of him. And you've got all 12 of his children's books in a really nice new series design. They've all got new covers, but this is not being shown to the readership, to the public. So, and I'm wondering, well, why spend all that money to advertise just to the trade who, yes, are going to be placing your books in the bookshop, but you're not going to be reaching the customers? Or is it that actually we're all customers? We are all readers and we're all going to buy books anyway. It feels like we're talking to ourselves with that kind of big advertising push. Yeah, and I think in a way we are. Um... I wasn't sure where that question was going at all. I felt like it could have gone about five different ways before you got to the end. Um, but it's quite an interesting thing to think about overall. I think part of the reason that we do that is because we do realise that booksellers are really, really important. And I mean, obviously, you know, we can't ignore online shopping um, in this day and age. 
I'm not an expert on children's books at all. I've not worked on them in about 10 years or something. Um, but I think children's books are possibly bought more in person than adult books are. But yeah, that, that bookshop shelf space is so important. Having a table at the front of a major chain retailer is, you know, your Smiths, your Waterstones, that makes a huge difference. Um, I think that can can make more of a difference than, mm. you know, a, a blog tour or a newspaper review even, yeah. uh, depending, depending on the profile of those reviews. And you say a blog tour. This is a really new development, new to me anyway, because when I began in publishing originally in the 1990s, obviously there was no internet, there was no social media. Blogs were just not, they didn't happen. But now blog tours happen and again I'm not quite sure how many people who don't look at social media are aware of them because they probably won't have any information about them but effectively it's a blogger a book reviewer posting book reviews on their blog being invited to take part in a sort of a mass love bombing about a particular book where lots of reviews come out at the same time is that a good way to describe it yeah, you tend to get other content involved as well. So you might have a Q&A one day or review and it's the next, maybe an extract the day after that, mm-hmm. um, possibly some other other fun things for the bloggers to get involved with. Mm. And I got your bookstagram tours as well. So it's, it's a brave new world out there. It is. There's just so many different things about it, about how social media works in that way. What you were saying about the importance of getting the books on the shelves is it was born home to me yesterday because my knees are hurting I've got arthritis so I was in a bookshop and my knees were so painful and I was so tired but I had to buy I had to spend a book token that was running out and I was so grateful for this bookshop because it has lots and lots of full height bookshelves with all the books facing cover out I didn't need to drag myself along the shelves with the spines out I just ignored them I just looked at the covers out I chose what I wanted and it was fantastic and so easy and convenient and if that bookshop had not done that, I would not have spent my money there because it was just made so easy for me. It's such a pity that spines don't get the same coverage, but they're just difficult. They are. And it's something that I know a lot of publishers do think about what they're putting on the spine. And maybe they, they do that more, I think, now than they have done historically. Mm. Um, because, you know, once your book is no longer new, which is where I thought your question was going. It is going to be spine out. It's not going to be mm-hmm. face out for long because there's just the sheer volume of books coming out every day or yeah. every week even. Um, you can't always have all of the books no. face out. It's just impossible. Oh God, you couldn't get, it'd be like a warehouse and then you get bored and tired and hungry and whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back to Michael, the Michael Moore Purgo advert, you're right. It was showing that here are all the lovely new designs for these well-known titles that you know are proven sellers in your bookshop. So why don't you look at them all together? Why don't you perhaps think about doing a complete display in the window? Maybe that was what the ad was also trying to persuade people to do. Absolutely. And it's probably, you know, one advert does not a campaign make. So Mm. they've probably got other things targeting from different angles so Mm -hmm. that you've got, you know, you've got your booksellers covered. So hopefully they'll buy them in, put them in the window display, put them on table displays. But you've also maybe got social media advertising or um, newspaper or magazine advertising as well. 
targeting the readers directly mm, so you've mm-hmm. got things happening on the business to consumer side and the business to business side yeah um, and then they kind of meet in the middle I suppose yeah I'm thinking about I know you said you haven't worked on children's books for a long time but I'm thinking about how can, how do you market children's books that are aimed at children who can't yet read and who will not be reading comics or magazines or anything you have to go to the parents you absolutely do um i'm really not the person to ask about that though because i worked on children's books at intern level so i i was not making the decisions let's put it that way no it's <laughs> oh, an interesting wrinkle who are you trying to target the person who's got the money who can do the spending and the buying yeah but then there's pester power <laughs> oh pester power please no never again <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for that. That has been so interesting. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it too. I have. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. 